what happens when a black guy, a white dude, and an Hispanic man happen to be pro wrestling marks? You get debates, roasting, and fun in Jeet Nation's newest podcast, Breaking Ring Rust. And it starts right now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, marks of all ages, welcome back to yet another episode of Breaking Ring Rust, where we encourage you to get yourself over. I am your host, Rocky Mr. Magic, joined as always by my tag team partner, JTTTTTT. What's up, man? What's up, Mike? And we are joined yet again by Matt Privet, MP in the building. Welcome back. Uh, good to be back. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So tonight we are going to recap a little bit from this week, the week of March the 25th, a little Raw, a little SmackDown, and then get back into part tray of Lex Luger, the life and times of Flexi Lexi. So starting with what is going to perturb JT a bit, on Raw, the mixed-matched tag team of Ricochet and Aleister Black had yet another match against the Revival and scored yet another pinfall victory with Ricochet hitting Wilder with the famous 630 Centon. Well, it, it begins to bother me less about burying the, the established tag team and things like that as they're kind of furthering an NXT angle on Raw. Because Are you seeing an invasion coming forth? Don't see a point in doing an invasion or what it benefits them because they're having their their minor league invade them. You know, I mean, think about that practically. I mean, are 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 you know are are the the Braves or the Cardinals going to have their minor league team come up and start giving them grief? You know, it's their own team, it's their own upstarts, it's their own right. stars. It doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to be an opposing brand the way SmackDown is. It's supposed to be where we all know the future is coming from. And so, yeah, we know um, if you're following anything with NXT or you know what the net, you know what's going on with the Dusty Classic, that 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 Black and Ricochet are finalists. But right. at the same time, it's like you're doing that with them, and then you're doing angles with them on Raw and SmackDown. There's so much going on with them. There's really a lack of focus. At, there's a lack of cohesion there. And when I look at, you know, uh, the Dusty Classic, and it says, okay, well, the winners are going to face the War Raiders for the titles. Looking at it, I go, okay, well, if you push them all this all this time and the Forgotten Sons win, then it it it's like what was all the what was the point right. right? And then, but at the same time, I don't see Black and Ricochet beating the War Raiders 
because they're getting all this push on on the main shows for them to just stick around and carry the NXT tag title, right. which would make no sense. Right. And so the fact it, that Ricochet and Black together equal like half of one of the War Raiders. Right. So it just it, there there's not a lot of cohesive thought to me in, in a lot of the booking looking at it. Uh, it it's like they've going into WrestleMania this year, there just hasn't been uh, and I'll say it again, cohesive thought. It's like they didn't know where they were going with a lot of stuff, and they're just throwing things together to try to make things into something. Like, yeah. it, we talked about it before, the way they brought up the NXT guys. You brought up two guys in NXT that still had NXT belts without really even deciding what you're doing with that. You brought up guys from NXT um, without really having a focus of what they were going to be doing. It's just like, okay, they're here. Right. They're here. Like Sanity. Like Sanity's just there. Right. Well, I mean, these guys were here, but they weren't, okay, here's the program they're going into, or they're even on this brand, or they're doing this, or they're doing that. So, like, okay, well, we're trotting them out like show ponies, and they're going to beat these people, and then they're going to do this, but then they're going to be on another show, and they're going to do this. And there, it's like there's no aim, there's no direction. Well, if you're going to have uh, brands, and you're supposed to really have brands when they're going to Fox, right? Then why is there why is there all this commingling now with three brands? One of which is essentially your your farm system, right? It, it, it doesn't. It feels less like three brands and more like one big brand. Yeah, and at the same time, and again, aside from just devaluing the revival. Um, who is probably the best pure tag team in wrestling right now? What does it say about your tag team when you're on uh, your tag team champions on your on your A show when you, your two guys from your farm system who don't normally team together can just routinely beat them week in and week out? Well, we all know the value that Vince does not place on tag team wrestling, and it's. It doesn't make sense to me to even see having your these champs. Like, if you're going to continue to establish Ricochet and Alistair Black through the tag team division, that's fine. But having them routinely beat your champions just devalues them as a team and devalues the championships. It just doesn't make sense. There's other tag teams you can do that to. Well, it's just been a running thing through the years where, and we talked about before, where they'll establish these two single stars as a super team. They'll have them crush the 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 established teams. They'll have you know uh, one of them turn on the other one, or um, you know one get hurt or whatever. Where you know it has to go back to the established teams, and then they try to act like these established teams are the greatest teams ever. Right. It's like, no, you already showed us they're a joke, you know, um, and it hasn't, and you haven't really had those teams that fired on all cylinders since the days of the Hardys, Edge and Christian, the Dudleys, that right. really uh, established that, and um, and you could go back and go, yeah, but didn't the, the, didn't the Hardys, I mean, Edge and Christian lose to, you know, Undertaker and the Rocket, like, yeah, but that's Undertaker and Rock. That's right. two of the biggest stars of all time. You know, yeah. they weren't going out and just losing to, 
you know, they didn't, two guys didn't show up and, and just beat them on TV. Right. It's not, it's not just that they're losing. It's that they're, they're, they're jobbing the revival out almost every single week. Um, we've probably all heard the mindset that, you know, championships don't really matter. They're props to tell a story. When you take your title, though, and routinely have the champions beaten on TV, I don't know what the good of the prop is anymore. It's almost as if, and, and maybe this is the case, there were rumors that the revival were asking out of their contracts, wanting to leave a few months ago. Right, and all of a sudden they get they they get the titles put on them. It's almost as if the people in management said, "Stick around, we'll put the titles on you." Are you happy now? Okay, now you're going to lose every every match. That's what it feels like to me. I don't know what the value of the tag team titles is anymore because they surely don't value them except to occasionally tell a story. But no, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, if, if, ti- if, if titles don't mean anything, then you shouldn't have them. I agree. You know, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. People say, oh, titles don't mean anything. They're a prop to tell a story. But they're an important part of the story. I mean, every story has props, but they all mean something. You know, they still mean something they, to I, me. I mean, you I know, mean it, it's still real to me. <laughs> I mean, if you look outside of wrestling and you look at props, the the Ark of the Covenant and 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 the um, and Raiders still the Lost Ark, right? Exactly, and the um, the I'm just blanked on it. The the, the cup and and yes, the cup of Christ in the, in the last the Holy Grail, right? Yes, exactly. Grail. Yeah, yep. I mean, those were props, but they meant something. They were still props, but they were very important props. Now, I mean, as far as, but if you think about, you know, especially coming up on WrestleMania season, if you look at WrestleManias, and yeah, they're WrestleManias in the past, but they still told something. I mean, look at WrestleMania 12, the boyhood dream of Shawn Michaels. That was all about him becoming world champion. Oh, yeah. That was all about that. They built for, you know, they built for months on a crescendo to go up to that. It was all about the, and it was all about the title. Uh, WrestleMania 20, was all about Chris Benoit finally becoming the world champion and then celebrating in the ring with his best friend and they're both the champions and they're celebrating in the ring and they've achieved their dreams together. Why? Because they're the champions. They're at the top of the mountain. Um, Even um, with uh, uh, what was WrestleMania 32 when uh, Roman finally wins the title Uh, you know for more than a second. Right. Uh, he, you know, he, you know, vanquishes Triple H and comes back and boom, 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 and he's got the belt and he's, you know, the guy now and he's, uh, and he's supposed to be having this moment to celebrate and, you know, in everyone's mind, even though it wasn't really what happened, be accepted as the man. But he, you know, so they're telling all the story, but then at the same time, when we say, well, Tyler's being advantage, oh, they don't really mean that much. Well, then why are you telling a story with them? Why is a women's championship what they're fighting over in the main event this year? Right. It's a title. The title always means something. If you devalue it, you devalue the product, you devalue the story you're talking about. And like you said, if they don't mean anything, then why have them? But it is a combat fantasy, and every combat has 
something to win. It has a prize. It has stakes. Right. Whether it's boxing, whether it's mixed martial arts, whether it's martial arts, whether it's you know amateur wrestling, there is a stake. There is a championship. There is a best in the world, best at what you do, best in your weight class, whatever, that you're striving to achieve. Right. And when tag team wrestling used to be such an enjoyable thing to watch, whether it was the you know, Attitude Era or Inter Ruthless Aggression Era or the classic teams in the 70s and 80s, it was something that was enjoyable and a great part of the show. And now it's just been reduced to cannon fodder. And, and here's the thing. People say, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, Vince, you know, he's not a tag team guy because his dad never was much of a tag team guy. You'd have, you know, one tag team that was the champions and they'd filter teams in to challenge them. And, you know, but they never really had a lot of tag teams. But here's the thing. If you look at WWF in the 80s, they were rich with tag teams. Oh, yeah. They had a ton of tag teams. They had some good tag teams, some fun tag teams. And, like, that was one of the things I liked best about WWF in the 80s was the tag teams. Like, I loved going on there as a kid, as a young Mark, you know, who maybe didn't know any better. I loved watching the Killer Bees and the Islanders and the Bulldogs and, you know, all those teams, Can-Am Connection, watching oh, those yeah. guys wrestle. Um. And there being so many, and you could watch a whole Saturday morning show of nothing but tag teams. Tag teams. Right? Yeah. Bushwhackers. And, so, and yeah, it trailed off in the mid-90s, but by the late 90s, we again had strong tag teams again. And it built up more and more and more up until the early 2000s. Now, by the time they did the first brand split, it was like Vince said okay, I don't care about tag teams again because he split up all the tag teams with the brand split. Right. And it was just like, and, and then you had all these tag teams that didn't kind of make any sense. And it, it was just, well, they just sucked. You, you right. had, you had Spike tagging with Bubba and, right. you know, Devon with a young Batista. And, yeah. Or Devon and Ron Simmons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they did that because, you know, two black guys together it's got to work and so it was you know but it's like if if you don't like tag team wrestling then just don't do tag team wrestling then you know don't don't have two different tag team divisions don't build up tag teams don't have tag team tournaments don't do all these other things don't keep adding on tag team titles you know right now they have four tag team titles well Two championships. Oh, through, through, oh, I'm sorry. You're thinking NXT and the women's? Right. Okay, so, yeah, four. Correct. So there's – but at the same time, like, they're pretty devalued titles. Which to me just doesn't make sense. I think it was like the great wrestlers throughout my lifetime watching and a lot of my favorites, a lot of them came out of the tag team division. Whether right. Whether it's Michaels, whether it's Hart, you know – the Hardys, you know, uh, so many of them were were part of a an established, very good tag team. Right, uh, I, I agree, and and that was the way that you know, as a young worker, you would get a lot of experience because you could go in there and you could say, okay, you know, kid, you're teaming with this guy who's a veteran. He's going to show you the ropes, and you're going to learn how to work. 
um, by being in the ring with more experienced guys and by having somebody who's your partner who's going to tell you what you're doing, you know, and that was a good way to learn. At the same time, if you're not going to, you know, I think tag teams a lost art. I mean, just as, you know, we talked about wrestling, you know, in the WWF in the 80s, that's not even to talk about what was going on in other territories. Right. And, and that was, you know, in a lot of ways better. And so there was, so, you know, not even diving into that, but there's, you know, tag team wrestling is definitely kind of a lost art. And, but at the same time, if we're told, you know, hey, these, you know, these guys, they're, they're essentially, because they're on Raw and they're the Raw Tag Team Champions, they're the best in the world. But they keep losing week in and week out. And it's just non-title matches. Then, what does it say about the importance of it? Or for years, when you had, you know, Caden Murdoch as tag team champions, and they're getting beat by every other team, and, and uh, that are that are singles champs, or you know, or big time singles stars. And then whenever those guys want to go back to us, oh, this team's now the greatest tag team in the world again. Forget all the losses they had before; they're the greatest tag team in the world. You know, it's. It, there was a time when whatever territory you were in, the the world tag team titles were on par with the world title, or whatever the whatever the singles title and the tag titles in that area were kind of on par with each other. Top singles and the top tag title. Um, the world and, tag team title match always used to be, at least in in Crockett, it used to be the the second to last match. If not, if it wasn't that, it would be the U.S. title. Yeah, or. Oh. And there are plenty of times it was the main event if if Flair wasn't on the show. That's right. Yeah. So. Well, going, speaking, continuing on this little tag team run here. So last night, the New Day competed in another gauntlet match, which I don't know what the sudden obsession with gauntlet matches has become. Um, We've got yet another one to uh, Woods and Big E to win to make sure that Kofi gets his WrestleMania shot. So the New Day faced off against Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, where they hit the up-up-down-down for the pinfall on Carl. They beat Rusev and Nakamura, again hitting the up-up-down-down on Nakamura for the, for the pinfall. They beat The Bar, where Xavier rolled up Sheamus for the pin, took some punishment after that. They powerbombed Big E through a table. Um, next, they beat the Usos, who uh, just came out and said that Kofi deserves his title shot, and they forfeited. And then lastly, they beat Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan for by via countout. So, gauntlet matches are, they're, they're one of those things that sound cool in theory, but they're atrocious. Unless you're going to do one like uh, you know, well, I think it was Seth did, where it was like an hour long. Well, the one Kofi did, what three weeks ago, right. was excellent. But then they did it again, and now they done it again. But was- what you but what you do? But the problem is, you end up burying people when you're doing this Iron Man thing, where. This one guy is going to beat everybody. You end up burying a lot of people, unless you're going to put filler people in there. And you know it's going to have one of two outcomes. 
when you're doing the Ironman gauntlet, you know it's going to have one of two outcomes. Either the guy's going to lose in the last match or he's going to win the whole thing. The difference between what they're doing now and what they did last year with Seth Rollins is you didn't know who was going to win that thing. Um, That's That's why Kofi's worked too, because there wasn't a plan for him to win. He just happened to go for that hour, and it was great. And he ended up losing, and he ended up losing the entire thing. Right, but at the same time, like when, like it, it like I, I'm a New Day fan. Like, don't get me wrong, I love New Day. Got my New Day shirts. I got my unicorn horns. But like at the same time, like they beat three teams cleanly that are top teams in a row. Like you tell me realistically they beat one team okay great they they scrape by a second team by like a fluke but they just beat three teams in a row that are top teams like that tells me that that tells me as a viewer if i've got any level of intelligence those teams weren't that good you know and then now, I mean, like, if you had, and I mean, also, realistically, they, they pulled the punch too early on the Usos forfeiting because, you know, that's something you do at the end when they've been laid out and they're laying the ring, they've been laid out and, okay, just go, guys, go, pin them, pin them, pin them, you know. Well, they kind of right. tried to do that with AJ during that um, that gauntlet match where he was trying to tell Kofi to lay down, just, just you know, get it over with. But you go, 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 pin him, guys, pin him. You have, you know, whoever your heel authority figure going, hey, go, pin him, pin him, you know, or in this case, Vince, go, 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 pin him, pin him, you know, take him, take him out, end it, you know. And then they they tease getting in the ring and you know maybe doing a splash and they jump down and they pick up the mic and say we forfeit, you know. And and walk off, and then that's how New Day wins. Which, optically, okay, cool, but the Usos are heels. Since when do heels decide that they think someone deserves a title shot and, and not compete? Are the Usos heels this week? I can't remember. I don't think it's clear one way or the other based on what I've, I've observed over the past couple of months. I I, I, I did. I did I miss could, last week, so maybe I missed the the, the heel turn. I mean, the, the face turn. I'm not turn. saying they've done anything differently in the past week or so, but yeah, I'm the, just, over the past couple months, I really, if 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 I'm a a neutral observer coming in, I couldn't tell you one way or the other whether they're heels or faces. Yeah, but that's, that that's just my observation. No, you're you're definitely right because they keep on flip flopping them. Um, on what their tactics are, their heel tactics one night, their face tactics the other. Yeah, who who who's supposed to know? Right. So what's the next? So next, um, topic. we do really have to touch on is the Charlotte Flair capturing her eighth championship by beating Oscar in the figure eight, which I can't hate saying it's it's nothing different about it from the figure four, but whatever. In the figure eight to win the SmackDown women's title yet again. Now, I know 
Matt's a huge Charlotte fan, but to me, this really was completely unnecessary on a couple different levels. One, we didn't need another belt going into the main event at WrestleMania. Two, Charlotte didn't need to break the women's record yet. She's still really young in her career. Um, and three, they just started putting some steam behind Asuka and getting her back from being the, the hip-hop hippo. And they just pulled the rug out from under her again for really no apparent reason. Um, and it was like, it's like they feel like, I mean, we get it. Like they, they, they view Charlotte as, you know, the female Ric Flair. She's going to be the best of all time as far as women go. And that she's going to be the, the, the female hall of famer and all this stuff. She's going to be the legend, but to be like, okay, you've got to have the belt going in. You've got to be in the main event. You've got to have the title. You got to break the record and all that. I just feel like they're doing too much. They're, they're forcing too much with her too fast. Um, I feel um, that what, what it feels like to me is that they're, they're thinking about the matches at WrestleMania and they're probably going to have two women's matches on the, the main card, of course, the main event and then the tag titles. But then they maybe they just decided they didn't want to put the SmackDown women's title on the pre-show on a night where they're going to be, you know, celebrating the, the women's evolution with being in the main event. Maybe they didn't want to, people to be able to say, well, look, the other one's on the pre-show. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what, why they needed to add it. And to be honest with you, I really don't care. <laughs> I mean, is it just to have their four horsemen women moment where they have their own like curtain call and after Becky wins, but Charlotte doesn't lose the SmackDown title. She has the raw belt and, and Charlotte has a SmackDown belt and Bailey and Banks come out with their tag belts and they all pose and hold up their titles. Like, I hope not. Cause that's the only thing I can see coming at like, I can see them doing it, but I hope not. I mean, I can. That's the only thing I can see. Or that, or Vince is so bent on having Charlotte hold both titles, or it doesn't make any sense story-wise. I think if anybody but Becky goes over in the main event, people are going to go nuts. Well, they, if they want to generate some heat, heck yeah, they <laughs> they will go nuts. Vince hasn't been afraid to run a WrestleMania main event the past few years that people were going to crap on. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I still haven't seen last year's main event. Well, and I don't feel bad about it. Yeah, that's why why I didn't see it. I fell asleep because it was so bad, and it was still on at like three in the morning. So you know, that too. I I just don't see. I just I just don't see it. Like I understand putting Charlotte in the match. I thought that was smart putting Charlotte in the match to ensure that. Rhonda doesn't mess up too bad. You have a very seasoned worker who can have a fantastic match with Becky. You've seen him do it before. So if Rhonda freaks out, gets too nervous, doesn't perform well, the match can be definitely salvaged, if not just saved by having those two in it. I understand that. But yeah. adding the title to it or just having her have the title – 
if, if it's not, I, I, even if, if it's not a stake, then like, what's the point? I, I didn't see what the point is in putting the belt on Charlotte again at all. I, I didn't see any any logical reason to do it, and I, I don't see why they can't. Being that they've gone seven hours the last two years at least at WrestleMania between the, the pre-show and the regular show, I don't see why they can't squeeze a women's match on for Asuka. You know, even if it's just her coming out, her opponent coming out, whether it's Mandy or Sonya or whoever, and doing a quick match. You know? Well, yeah. you know, they're, they're going to have their their collection of skits. There'll probably be a 20-minute, a 20 to 30-minute skit, which seems to be the new normal for WrestleManias. Um you know, with, whether it be The Rock doing something or, or whoever. I mean, I'm with you. I, I'd rather see matches than if they're going to go five and a half hours on the main show. I mean, here's the thing. What else do they have booked that they, could, that they didn't have room for a women's match? Because I haven't heard them really announce anything else. Yeah, we, we still really like don't know what else is going to be on the card. Yeah. I mean, we haven't heard that much else book. So it's like, I mean, if they had been like, okay, we've got this book, this book, this book, we've got these storylines, these storylines, these storylines. We don't have that. So no. it's like, we know, it, Seth, we know Seth and Brock. We know the women's right. match. Right. No, the Balor, tag match. So with this tag match, we know Balor and, um, and Lashley. Right. And that's pretty much it. Uh, the right. Miz. And we know Shane and Miz. Shane and Miz. Oh yeah, Shane and Miss. Yes, yeah. but to me that match doesn't matter. But well, you know it'll get twenty to thirty minutes, and and now it's Paul's count anywhere, which which uh, is so yeah. Shane can jump through another table, do another exactly. elbow drop through another table that we haven't seen that fifty million times. Well, well, I, I'm actually looking at the card now. Don't forget we've got Buddy Murphy versus Tony Nice. And Kurt Angle versus Baron Corbin and AJ Styles versus Randy Orton and the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal and Samoa Joe versus Rey Mysterio. Lashley versus Balor. Reigns versus McIntyre. The women's tag four-way. I'm seeing 13 matches over the course of the main card and probably about two or three on the pre-show. So They got a bunch of matches. Buddy Murphy, the 227-pound cruiserweight. Well, weight's just a number. It, it's all about where they want you. <laughs> it says it on the website, 227. Come, come on. It says it on the website? Yes. You think they want to update? Because they, they did a whole big thing on 205 Live about him cutting weight. And him like not making weight the first time, trying to get in the, a title match and stuff like that. You look at the man. That man will look two hundred five. Like anybody with eyes can see he's not two hundred five. Well, it, it wouldn't be the first time they've manipulated a weight announcement on pro wrestling. That's true. Sure. I mean, you know, Crash Holly wasn't four hundred pounds either. Right, and you know, Ricky Morton wasn't over two hundred pounds back in the day either. So. The, well, maybe with the hair though, the hair with the hair, the hair looked heavy. All right, well, let's transition to the main event, the main topic, and that is Lex Luger. So, All right, 
I believe we are at the 4th of <laughs> July. Yeah. Something very large is about to get lifted. Yeah. So this is uh, at a point which was one of my biggest markout moments. Because one, I, I was a Luger fan. And two, when I was a younger guy, and Matt can back me up on this, I was very patriotic. I always had the American flag shirts and stuff like that. And so uh, what had happened set the, the stage, we last thing we talked about was King of the Ring uh, in 93. And aside from Luger's match, uh, the evil Japanese menace Yokozuna had defeated the, the uh, uh, American hypocrite Hulk Hogan and uh, squashed him with his own finishing move. And Hulk Hogan was unable to slam Yokozuna, the first person Hulk Hogan couldn't slam. And so uh, I think a lot of people thought at the time uh, Hogan was going to come back and you know, probably at SummerSlam or something like that and slam Yokozuna and win the belt back. But Hogan disappeared. And Fuji comes on TV and says, you know, Hogan's gone, blah, blah, blah. He couldn't slam my Yokozuna. We're going to have an event. We're going to go on the USS Intrepid, which is a, a, a retired aircraft carrier that is in uh, the bay in New York. And it's and we're going to set up a ring and we're going to invite wrestlers and athletes and, you know, just anyone who wants to try to slam Yokozuna and we're going to give them some prize if they can do it. And so they... Uh, and on the 4th of July, they have this thing. And so I remember watching this video and I had this on videotape and I used to watch it all the time. And I'm not sure if it's on the network anywhere. If it is, I'm got to go find it. But they show a bunch of um, wrestlers um, like Crush. He kind of gets Joko off his feet, but he can't really pick him up. Rick Steiner tries to belly to belly him. Um Scott Steiner tries to pick him up, but he can't do it. Um, Tatanka tries to slam him, and he can't do it. And then he tries to tomahawk chop him, and he gets a boot in the face. Um, and then there's uh, some athletes from other sports. Alonzo Mourning is one of them. Um, there's a bunch of, you know, just a bunch of people. I, I can't remember who it was. Um, somebody comes up. And, like, he looks at Yoko and, like, is just like, no, nah, that's okay. And just turns around and walks out. So, Rodney was a big boy. Yeah. And so, um, right as they're about to call it off, then uh, Luger, that well, a helicopter comes out of nowhere, lands on the flight deck of the Intrepid, out steps Luger clad in jeans, cowboy boots, and a uh, American flag uh, shirt. And he strides through the crowd, and Bobby Heenan tries to stop him, and he shoves Heenan, and he gets in, um, delivers not a great promo. Um, and he says something like, you say there's something wrong with America. There's nothing wrong with America. What's wrong with America is people like you. So he says there's nothing wrong with America and then says what's wrong with America is. Um, but he realizes that what had happened was Vince had told him once Hogan left, hey, basically you're going to be my new Hogan and we're going to have you slam 
Yokozuna. So they went to the uh, what would be basically the old track studio, um, although it wasn't that at the time, but the old studio in uh, Connecticut, the old warehouse where they had rings set up and practiced slamming him. And he said, you know, it was great because Yoko could uh, basically just go up easy for you. And, you know, as long as you had, you know, some ability and he could, you know, get you up to slam him. And he, you know, practiced it a bunch of times, did the slam really well. Once he gets in the ring, he realizes he has no traction in his cowboy boots. So when what looks like them to be jawing at each other uh, in the ring, he's actually telling Yoko, he doesn't have any traction because of his cowboy boots. So they call a spot in the ring and Yoko basically says, I'll just slam myself. So uh, what you see is a, a really bad looking body slam is basically because Luger had no traction and um, Yoko is basically just kind of jumping up in Luger's arms and Ar Luger is just flailing his arms to make it look like he slammed him. But it's, Sold as Luger slamming Yokozuna, and uh, Luger is now an American hero. And uh, it starts out on what's called the Lex Express Tour. Yes, I remember that, the Lex Express. I thought the slam was horrible. I was excited for it, even though I wasn't a big Luger guy. Um, I was just wanted to see one of those people get him up. Mm -hmm. And after everyone struggled... And to me, legitimately, looked like these guys are struggling. Like, yeah, for those who probably well, sure could, they were. Hmm. Oh, for, for those who probably had a, maybe a legitimate chance to get the leverage, mm -hmm. one of the Steiners, um, Alonzo Mourning's attempt was laughable. I was like, there's no way Alonzo can get low enough to even right. get, get him up. Well, that's because um, Alonzo's like eight foot 13. So. Well, that, that was actually Scott Burrell. I remember that because I'm a Hornets fan. I'm oh, uh, sorry, it was Scotty Burrell. Yes. Yes, Guy yeah. Burrell, small four. Yes, like um, <clears throat> like, like this guy's got no shot, and I was really like, I was really thinking like real life. Okay, who could really get him up? Lex probably could have got him up. One of the Steiners probably could have got him up, but, but the rest of them, I, I doubt they would have actually gotten him up. I think Crush probably could have. I think you think I think his crush is so tall. I don't know if he would actually crush get him was just enough. so strong though. But Crush actually got him up. And Crush had yeah. the arms to get up under his butt too. Yeah, he was he was, he was a really big dude. Yeah, but, too. but but Luger not having any traction with the cowboy boots explains why the slam looks so bad. And, and terrible in the boots, in my personal opinion. But yeah, and so uh, the funny thing was was uh, it, it's been told and retold how. While this bus tour was supposed to make Luger look like this like uh, likable American hero, Luger absolutely hated it. Didn't didn't like staying on the bus. Um, didn't like the like the road travel and all that stuff. Um, would often ask like, "Hey, can I just stay in a hotel instead of staying on the bus tonight or whatever?" and uh, did not embrace it the way they wanted him to. And so uh, some people think that may have uh, affected Vince's willingness to go with him as a top star. But 
not not known for sure, but this is all ends up setting up uh, Lex Luger being um, being uh, signing a match to face Yokozuna in the main event at SummerSlam '93, and uh, there is um, <clears throat> there and at that time Yokozuna brings in a new uh, manager or co-manager, Jim Cornette. And Jim Cornette uh, signs it so that two things must happen in this match. One, Luger must wear a protective covering over his right forearm so that he does not have an advantage with that steel plate in his arm. And two, if Luger does not win the title, he will not get another uh, shot at the championship. So basically everything is just saying, hey, Luger's going to win the championship here in um, the Palace of Auburn Hills. And so they, <clears throat> they push this, they push this, they push this. They get to the actual match. Um, they have what's actually a pretty decent match. It's been reviewed fairly well. Um, Yoko works really good for a big man there. There are some dull spots with Yoko doing the the trapezius nerve hold and stuff like that. But overall is a is a pretty decent match for a power guy versus big guy match. Um, and then in the closing moments of the match, Luger does hit the body slam, much better body slam than the one on the Intrepid. Uh, and then he pulls down his arm pad, hits Yoko with the forearm, knocks him out of the ring. Uh, and Yoga gets count is unconscious and he gets counted out. So Luger wins the match, but does not win the championship. Although they pour confetti, play his music, and celebrate like he won the title. But Luger won the match, but not the championship. Therefore, he does not get a rematch. They even had guys come out and put him on his shoulders. <laughs> now, the funny thing was. And this has been one of the more controversial things. And now Vince would say, hey, uh, you know, I, if I'm going to put the tie, depending on who, who you listen to, Vince says either if I'm going to put the title on you, it's going to be at WrestleMania 10, or I am waiting to put the title on you till WrestleMania 10. Um, but he, I want to build up anticipation. I want to grow the sympathy. But I'm, I'm, you know, uh, so there, there's two different schools of belief on that. Whether it's whether he said I am going to wait until WrestleMania 10, or if I ever put the title on you, it will be at WrestleMania 10. Uh, but <clears throat> a lot of people feel that if Vince was ever going to pull the trigger on Luger, it should have been then, uh, and that this team with all the other times that he basically was, you know, came close to winning the title in NWA and WCW, mm -hmm. only to not win it, that like this of all things kind of sealed his label as being a choker. Well, it's certainly uh, for, for those who were familiar with him in WCW and may have cared about him based on WCW, it certainly would have put something in their minds that well, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, it's going to be the same old, same old, uh, same different, different promotion, same result. So, 
Well, before you go, JT, so we ask you this, Matt, um, being that people may have gotten the idea, okay, you know, no matter where he goes, it's going to be the same result. Is that more on just the perception that the bookers had of what Lex could do? Or was that kind of a fair reaction thing? Like, you know what, maybe they really don't want to see him as the top guy. Well, I think that it's a combination of those things, most likely. Um, I wasn't really watching closely in the summer of 93. But what I have seen in retrospect, I would say that Luger was over, but he wasn't over, over, over. I think that had they not rushed that uh, and put him in the main event at SummerSlam 93 down the line, it probably could have gotten a better reaction. On the other hand, if you go back to his WCW days, I think it, it a lot of it was having to do with the Booker, as we've talked about um, in previous episodes. Um, I, because of the flat finish of the SummerSlam 93 match, the crowd, the, the more it, you know, weeks and months pass by, you've got three months between pay-per-views at that point. Lex's heat went south pretty quickly so that by the time Royal Rumble comes around and they're, they're going to do the double finish that we'll talk about in a minute, crowd reactions are pretty self-evident. And um, he, he never got that back, at least right. not in the WWE. And I think, yeah, that's why I say if they were going to do it, they should have done it then because – Absolutely. If they were going to put the title on him, it was then because it was a completely different market. There wasn't a pay-per-view the next month to follow up. There wasn't five hours of TV every week to to build on. There was, you know, it was, you know, you had a week, an hour TV a week. You had a pay-per-view every three months, and they they went from Luger to Undertaker to. You know, Luger and 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 Yoko didn't really touch for like six months, right? So it was hard to keep that that type of tension up. I mean, they kept it in the background, simmering, but they just didn't do it the right way. They could have had him win the title and then <clears throat> rematch Yoko, then face. They had the Crush Macho Man thing going. They could have use that to elevate crush to bring crush in there. They could have, I mean, there was a lot of things they could have done, but as far as what was the person, you know, was it people not wanting to see Luger? I don't think it was that people didn't want to see Luger. I think it was a lot with bookers and maybe their perception that Lex didn't care that much. Could be, Holding, you know, going, well, if I this do- guy doesn't want to be here that bad, or if, if this isn't his life's blood, you know, if he doesn't want to be the man that bad, you know, then maybe we shouldn't put the belt on. Yeah. At the same time, you know, you talk about how they, they should have gone with it at SummerSlam 93. And if Vince was trying to make Lex into a new Hogan, he, he should have probably, going back to when he did pull the trigger on Hogan in January of 84, because Hogan had just come back into the, the WWF just two or three weeks earlier when he uh, beat the iron Sheik at, at MSG. Right. 
Um, and now he should have struck while the iron was hot. Yeah. The, the, the longer, the longer Luger sat out and who, who knows what would have become now. Granted, I, I did not like the made in the USA gimmick at all. Neither um, did Luger. It, 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 it didn't fit his personality and, the best gimmicks are always an extension of the person's personality to begin with. And, and at least they are most of the time. And it just did not fit Luger. And I, I think that began to show the longer it went on. So, and, and you could add that to the reason why, as we continue talking about his run in the WWF, his uh, popularity wanes. A couple behind the scenes thing I want to address with Luger. Luger talks about a couple things behind the scenes in once he starts with WWF from WBF from WCW <clears throat> is that one he says while he's in WWF he does not use steroids, and that's because he says in WWF they had a very strict drug testing policy. Um, you can't fake test there. He says they can, you know, make you you know, watch you go to the bathroom, make you lift your shirt up while you do it. There's no way to, to fake a drug test there. Um, and there's substantial penalties for drug testing. And he says he feels pretty good about the way he looks. Doesn't feel like he needs to, um, to cheat the system. So he is not using steroids. And if you look at Luger uh, in his time in WWF, he is significantly smaller. Um, yeah, he's probably then, closer to 250 than, than 275. Yeah, he's, if you notice, he's wearing, that's when he starts wearing the bands around his upper arm to kind of make him look more, more cut. Um, <clears throat> but he's, he's leaner, he's faster. Um, and he's, you know, he's noting that they're going with more, uh, the smaller, quicker guys, the Bret Hart type guys than the Ultimate Warrior type guys, basically. So he's comfortable with that. Um, another thing he admits to is he says this is the first time he starts dabbling with uh, womanizing in his personal life. Now he says that while he was a member of the Four Horsemen and that was always part of that lifestyle and that once he met the Horsemen, Jesus he learned style. what ring rats were. He, uh, he did not indulge in that part of the lifestyle. But once he starts traveling with the WWF, then he... Uh, starts uh, straying outside of his marriage um, and that he uh, remembers something Hiro Matsuda told him which was to keep his uh, personal life separate from his ring life and he uses that as justification to uh, not keep his wedding vows. So he says that's when he starts doing that as he's traveling more with the WWF. So those are two big kind of behind the things scenes that he says happen with the WF is one that he's getting away from steroids and two that he is, is now starting to uh, womanize as he is uh, now uh, in the WWF. So the next big thing that's really going to happen is they're going to keep playing this all American thing. Now Luger said that when Vince first introduced the idea to him was he thought it was just going to be for, Yokozuna just to do this all-American thing and that eventually he would go back to not necessarily being the narcissist but maybe more back to being like the total package um, or just some version of himself but Vince always wanted him to be the made in the USA Lex Luger 
and that's not what he wanted, but that's what Vince wanted. Um, so immediately after uh, SummerSlam, since he can't wrestle Yoko, they have him feuding with Tony Holm, now known as Ludwig Borga. Now, uh, Borga uh, is playing is a Finnish heel uh, who wins his match at SummerSlam by using the torture rack, which they'll even say it at SummerSlam looks like Luger's torture rack, even though Luger has yet to use it in the WWF. Uh, and they'll start a series of matches on house shows and they'll trade wins, um, which why having guys who's supposed to be your number one baby face lose matches on house shows doesn't never made sense to me. Um, but they build up, but they build up to, uh, having, uh, a survivor series, uh, match where Luger is the captain of one team. Yoko is the captain of another team. And it's supposed to be Luger, Tatanka, and the Steiner brothers, the all Americans versus, uh, Yokozuna, uh, Ludwig Borga and the Quebecers. Now, just a few, uh, a few um, weeks before, Tatanka's undefeated streak would come to an end at the hands of Borga, and afterwards, Yokozuna would do the sit-down splash on him on his side, and they would say it would crush his ribs. So the Undertaker would replace. Uh, Tatanka and Luger would knock out Quebecer Pierre in a tag team match, in a singles match, excuse me. And they would say he has a concussion and can't wrestle, so Crush would replace him in the Survivor Series match. And during that match, uh, Yoko and Undertaker would get counted out together, and that would lead to them having their own feud. And then Luger would be alone with Ludwig Borga and pin him to be the sole survivor. Um, no great matches between those two that I've ever heard of. Um, there I'm are some... Sure yeah, and uh, however, um, although most people tend to hate uh, Summer, or excuse me, Survivor Series 93, um, I, I, that, that's kind of a guilty pleasure show for me. If for no other reason, all the funny lines that Bobby Heenan has at that show. Um, also, it's it's, it's it's his last WWF pay per view. Yeah, but uh, he has some great lines like um, uh, when Luger's going for the form. He's like, "Is that the ace? Is the place elbow?" Um, <laughs> and um, is that the true value forearm? Uh, and then uh, he says. Uh, my favorite line, though, is during the Hart family match, uh, Stu Hart's wearing a Boston Bruins uh, coat, and he says, oh, isn't that sweet? Stu's got a picture of Helen on the back of his jacket. <laughs> wow. Now, how would I, I, you know, I, now that I think about it, I remember that scene of Stu wearing that, and I'm thinking, okay, what, what Canadian is caught on camera? Well, they were in Boston. I, I don't care. So. They're Canadian. How, yeah, wearing a Bruins jersey. Like, well, I think when they asked him, he said, "I, translating it as yes." Uh, <laughs> like, 
I guess being from Calgary, he didn't have any strong allegiances to the Montreal Canadiens or the Toronto Maple Leafs or any of the historic rivals. You got, yeah, I mean, you got the, you know, I mean, they're from they're from Calgary. I mean, there's the, there's the Flames. He could have he could have been rooting for the Oilers, like like well, like I don't know, all these Canadian teams. He's wearing a Bruins jersey, like wow. I guess it's the original six team, I guess, but still. Right. But still, that was. But the thing about picture of Helen on the back of his jacket, I always thought that was the greatest That's hilarious. line. Yeah. But it was. <clears throat> but there, there, there's, there was some entertaining stuff there. But the, uh, so that would be kind of. Oh, and, and also at the beginning of that pay per view uh, is one of the most awkward just truly awful go look on the network intros at the beginning of that pay-per-view of Luger with his wife and his two kids wishing everyone a happy holiday from the Luger family. Extremely awful. Is this the, is this yeah. the one where they're like wearing sweaters in like front of a fireplace? Yeah. Oh, that was so yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 It, it was, it was, I mean, it, it looked like they were being held hostage Lever of, level of comfortability. Yes, and all in the sweaters. It was like step for family. They filmed that in Atlanta, and it, it didn't get cold. Yeah, it, you, uh, Luger talks about this in his book, if if I recall right. No, and, he doesn't. Oh gosh, I, well I've seen him talk about it somewhere. Where uh, just I know Bruce Pritchard's talking about it. Yes, that's where I've heard it. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It, it it is a very awkward yeah. couple of minutes there. Yeah, it it was not it was it was bad. Um but it was yeah, it, the the acting in it was just terrible and and it just shows why why Luger should not have been put in in that role and no one should. I mean, it was just one of those things where when they shot the tape, they should have just said we don't need to air this. We don't need air. Let's just go without yeah, it. That was, it wasn't really bad. He looked like he looked like he was a crazy man who had kidnapped his innocent family. It was making them pose exactly. yeah. with him. Like, like it, yeah. was, oh, it was terrible. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was like when they play. It was like, does anybody remember when they first debuted the American Males video? NWCW trying to and like announcers were trying to to sell it like it wasn't the most homoerotic thing that had ever been played on network television uh, uh, until just, until Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor right but like but like they like they showed it and they were just like wow those are some wholesome young men and wow they're just like it was that level of uncomfortability, you know. Yeah. So anyway, so that's going to kind of wrap up Luger's nineteen ninety three. Uh, of course, right after that, they're going to start pushing to the Royal Rumble, um, and they're going to say, um, you know, Luger. Oh, unless I forget the last Raw of the year, Luger did defeat Barry Horowitz. Oh, that's a tough one right there. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Not, right yeah. yeah. So, 
Um, no, no, no Hanukkah miracle for Mr. Horowitz. Yeah, we haven't so, hit ninety-five yet. Yeah. So afterwards, they're gonna. So basically, corn. The story is gonna be that Jim Cornette is going to be trying to keep Luger out of the Royal Rumble in '94 because the winner of the Royal Rumble will get the title shot at WrestleMania 10. But Luger has been contractually prohibited from getting another title shot. So it, Luger shouldn't be allowed in the Royal Rumble. So then they, they, then they come up with this very contrived story where they had already announced that Tenru and... Kabuki, who had already been announced for the Royal Rumble, were actually in there as secret agents of Jim Cornette and Yokozuna to prevent Luger from winning the Royal Rumble. I must have blocked that out. That sounds horrific. Yeah. So they had already, so like they had already done, like, hey, these are the special entrants for the Royal Rumble, you know, blah blah blah. And then, like, and just like a really contrived story, it was like a week, maybe even two weeks later, they were like, yeah, so, you know, t- you know, Jinruku Tenru and, and, and the great Kabuki, you know, they were brought in by Jim Cornette, you know, so that they could help their countrymen keep Lex Luger from winning the Royal Rumble. Yeah, the idea of uh, Tenru being a, Paid hitman in the WWF is just comical. Yeah. So that so then of course that leads to the Royal Rumble. Now, um, as long as I've known Matt and as long as he's seen this show, I know this has been one of his favorite shows for a plethora of reasons. So I'll let him talk about this show. Well been a while since i've seen it uh, my favorite part of the show has nothing to do with luger it has everything to do with owen hart um because that's where he turns on bret hart during the tag that's match. why i kicked your leg out of your leg well you see you wanted me to talk about it and then you stole my thunder man uh, <laughs> at shut up uh, but was it a rolling yeah. thunder yeah, Owen Hart gives a legendary promo after turning on his brother about how he kicked his leg out of his leg. And if if memes were a thing in 1994, they would have definitely made a meme out of that. But uh, as for the Royal Rumble itself, it comes down to Luger and Bret Hart. I think if, if you're old enough, you remember it. If you're not old enough, you've probably heard it referenced a time or two. But... Um, they go out together, their feet land at the same time, and who is going to win? And they, they announce Luger as the winner, they announce Hart as the winner, and the cheers are noticeably a little bit more for Bret Hart. And when all is said and done, they declare both of them winners, and the whole uh, thing ends in confusion. But... Uh, Matt, why don't you it talk was, about the mechanics of them going over the top rope while I go get a cough drop? Okay, well, um, it's, 
it, it really it, it's Bret Hart who does a good job. You know, it it's close to. I'm I haven't watched it in a while, but the way I remembered it, they they do touch pretty closely. Yeah, I remember it was really um, close. Like, like I think Hart's like right foot or left foot landed at the same time. Uh, Luger's right foot did, and then they both their opposite foot like hit right after. That was really really close. I remember as a kid. In school, you know, the, you know, arguing like who who touched first, like who won. It was it was really done that aspect well in that they did what they went out at the same time. Yeah, I thought it was you know it's an innovative finish. It's the first of its kind. Um, they what did uh, six or seven of these Royal Rumbles now, and it's the first time they've done anything like this, and so. It, it, if anything, it gave them more time to figure out what they wanted to do for WrestleMania. Now that they've made the Royal Rumble winner, um, the the challenger at WrestleMania, so it was uh, it was a neat finish. Um, but yeah, you you can tell watching back that the crowd is is more behind Brett than they are Luger by this point. They're not booing Luger, but they're definitely more enthusiastic for Brett. And uh, yeah, like you said, he it, he was over, but not over, over. Right at this point, you know, he's already hit his apex in the WWF at this point. So, On the downward then, spiral. Yeah, and that would lead to the Raw where they did the coin flip, and. They decide they're going to do two title matches on, on uh, at WrestleMania. So they they flip the coin to see who's going to face uh, Yokozuna first. Lex Luger wins the coin toss. If he would have lost, he would have had to face Crush first, and then face the winner between Brett and Yokozuna. But since he wins, he gets Yokozuna first, and Brett's going to face Owen Hart. Which again, things work out for the best because that's one of my favorite matches of all time. And uh, as I heard it put on another podcast lately, probably the best opener in WrestleMania history. And you can take out the word probably there. I would, I would concur with yeah, that. You, yeah. You, you can take out the word probably there. It, it's probably on my top 10 matches period, but uh, um, you know, it get, the Royal Rumble result gave them time to figure out exactly what they wanted to do for WrestleMania, and it all worked out for the best as far as the fans are concerned. Maybe not so much as far as Luger marks are concerned, but uh, by this point, I will admit my Luger markdom had taken quite a hit by the time he got to the WWF. So I'm still a fan, but eh, <laughs> I'm not living or dying by it anymore. <laughs> So, in the interim, just keep you up to date, interesting fact, in January 24th of 95 on Monday Night Raw, Luger's going to defeat Charlotte Native, Nature Boy Austin Steele. Oh, that's a blast from the past right there. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, he's going to pick up, uh, you know, some wins over guys like Reno Riggins. Um, there's going to be an interesting incident, which uh, got talked about a lot. Luger's going to come out at a March TV taping with the world title. 
and that's going to lead to when that's going to make the dirt sheets uh and there's going to be pictures with it and stuff like that where it's going to lead to a lot of fans speculate that luger's going to win the title at wrestlemania because they're obviously already establishing you know pictures and video footage of luger with the belt and it's led to rumors that persist to this day which pretty much everyone denies even luger himself that luger was originally scheduled to win the title but then they changed their minds uh yeah i'm not buying that rumor yeah uh, i think by this point vince had made up his mind that luger was not going to be the guy i agree and luger even said in a shoot interview that he had asked for his wife and kids to come to wrestlemania uh and and have tickets and vince said well you know you're not winning the title and he said oh i know that i just want them to come to new york and he said and he said oh, okay well that's fine as long as you know you're, we're not bringing them here for them to see you win the belt so yep. so luger is going to uh go to wrestlemania they're going to kind of pull a fast one and everyone announce that there's a special referee for the match and it's going to be mr perfect and perfect's going to be calling the match right down the middle up until right at the very end luger is going to uh be dominating he's going to nail mr fuji who tries to interfere he's going to nail jim fournette who's going to try to interfere and then he's going to hit the big forearm on yoko he's going to cover yoko he's going to have yoko down and mr perfect's going to go over and check on mr fuji and Luger's going to go and get him and say, hey, I've got him pinned. He's going to go back and cover for the pin again. Then he's perfect. going to act like he's going to go over and count the pin, but then he goes over and checks on Jim Cornette. And Luger's like, hey, what's going on? He goes over and he grabs her. He's like, hey, come on, come on, come count the pin. And out of nowhere, perfect disqualifies him and says he assaulted the referee. Hmm. And they never really explain it. Um, and then Perfect disappears from the WBF. Yeah, it, it feels like they were going to kind of rehash the feud that they had leading up, you know, going back to WrestleMania 9. You know, there was still some uh, unresolved conflict there. But they never really talked about that part of it much during WrestleMania 10. And, yeah, Perfect leaves. Um I guess you know they were going to probably do a program that summer, you know, heading through the summer. But he he leaves um, over money, I, I believe it was, and um, yeah, and that's that. Well, we're going to pick up some steam back the next night on Raw. He's going to beat Rick Martell, uh, and then he'll beat um, a series of jobbers on TV, going for Dwayne Gill. Derek Domino, George South, the Black Phantom, Tony DeVito. Um, and then he's going to go for his second King of the Ring qualifying match. And in an upset, he's going to lose by countout to Jeff Jarrett. Hmm. So J E double F J A double R E double T. Double J. Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. So Luger's not even going to make it to the King of the Ring this year. 
uh, in 94. So he's not even going to be King of the Ring 94 pay-per-view. That sounds like a waste. And Yeah. It was. As was most of that pay-per-view. I was about to say, most of that pay-per-view was a waste, so... I mean, that yeah, it can just be said for the whole thing, but... So, he's going to basically spend the rest of that year, or the rest, or through July, um, again, just Reno Riggins, Dave Kreiner, Barry Horowitz, Mike Bell on Monday Night Raw, Dwayne Gill again on Wrestling Challenge. So... Then, as the summer goes on, there's going to be rumors that he's joining Ted DiBiase's Million Dollar Corporation. And uh, he is going to, and they're going to be teasing a Luger heel turn, which I actually thought would have been a good idea at this point. Because I, I, I personally thought the idea of Luger as a heel with Ted DiBiase as his manager and Luger being very arrogant and having a ton of money would have been a good change up for his character. I think it would have fit his natural character a bit. Exactly. You know, a million dollar man buys the million dollar body. Exactly. And 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 so I got let a million dollar mirror. <laughs> so he you know he could just be you know I thought it would be a great thing because his character was stale at that point. And it was and I was like, this is great. Like, that'd be a great idea. And so they start teasing tension between him and Tatanka, who's supposed to be his friend, even though you really never saw him together. And they um, they do some kind of angles there. There's a, um, he does have a title match during that time uh, for the Intercontinental title against Diesel. And then a double count out. Um, and, or excuse me, a double DQ. He's going to continue on on. He's going to continue, he's going to continue being jobbers. And he's going to finally uh, have a confrontation with Tatanka. And Tatanka's going to say, I know you, you sold out. I'm going to prove it to everyone. DiBiase's going to keep telling everyone that Luger sold out. They're going to have a match at SummerSlam. And DiBiase is going to come out with a red, white, and blue bag full of money. Um, Luger is going to go over and talk to him. And Tatanka is going to pin Luger with the worst roll-up in wrestling history, aside from Austin and Owen at SummerSlam 97. So the worst, worst roll-up in wrestling history where one person wasn't paralyzed. Yeah, let's just say, yeah, there's a caveat there, like the dude's neck was broke. Yeah, yeah, let's let, let's give the award to Tatanka because uh, Austin has a pretty good excuse. Yeah. So, it, so it's going to be, and then we're going to get the heel Tatanka that nobody wanted. Well, I think people would have actually liked the heel Luger. I don't think anybody really wanted a heel Tatanka. So this pretty much ends Tatanka's everything career. Yeah, pretty much everything good about Tatanka. Got flushed down the toilet when he joined the corporation, the million dollar corporation. Well, well, like Luger, his character had become staler than stale, I and mean, worse than Luger's. And this leads to 
more. Uh, Luger is now feuding with the entire corporation. Uh, he's going to uh, go ahead and uh, he's going to start using his torture rack again, which announcer Stan Lane is going to dub the Rebel Rack. And uh, for one, he's going to get a win on on October tenth uh, on Monday Night Raw over Bam Bam Bigelow, who's a corporation member. And on October seventeenth, he'll even get a dark match win over Tatanka, and another one on November seventh. But this is all leading up to, to what to me was one of the most confusing pay-per-views and just booking in general of all time survivor series 94 mm. this was just aside from the bob backland bret hart match which i think is awesome this pay-per-view just stunk now when I was like 18 and I was a, a diesel mark, it was pretty cool when he just squashed everybody on the other team in like three minutes. Was, was this the Teamsters against the yeah whatever they were? Yeah, yeah. The HBK's Teamsters team. Like I remember, the bad guys. Yes. Show, uh, was, uh, Razor. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember showing Matt this match, and like he had pinned the one, two, three kid. And then, like, five minutes later, kid's still laying outside the ring, selling, being out from the power bomb. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he weighs, he weighs a buck like, ten. He got power right. bomb by a big dude. Yeah. Like, I'd already seen it, and he's just like, and we're sitting there, and, and Matt just, like, spits food out of his mouth. And he's like, he's still out of the ring. <laughs> yeah. So, but, like, aside from that, like if you want to like laugh at stuff like that and the and the Brett Backlund match, which I think you have to be an old school fan to appreciate that. The this this pay per view is just atrocious because you've got the the the, the little people's match with Doink and Jerry Lawler. Yes, yes. You you've got a casket match featuring Chuck Norris. It's Man, Chuck Norris, though. I mean, it's tough to go wrong. Well, it went wrong. It was terrible. Yeah, it was bad. Jeff Jarrett flying back 30 feet from a Chuck Norris kick down the alleyway. Um, it's Chuck Norris. He's lucky that's only how far he flew. You saw the expendable then, too. Then, um, then, uh, then you have this match with the with okay, here's the teams. You've got Lake Sluger, Mabel, Adam Baum, and the Smoking Guns. Now this is the Smoking Guns before they were ever tag team champions, mind right. you. Young Billy Young. This was the porn stash years, I think. Right. Yeah. The porn stash and mullet yes. years. And then they're 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 a team known as Guts and Glory. Let me that up. And they're facing the million dollar corporation team of K 
King Kong Bundy, Bam Bam Bigelow, the Tonka, and the Heavenly Bodies. Who were the main event anywhere in the country? The main event anywhere in the country. Who were not even in the Million Dollar Corporation? Yeah, I was thinking like I don't remember them being in the Million Dollar Corporation. Right. And so, with that, uh, you have the you have. Luger being the last man on his team against Tatanka, Bigelow, and Bundy. Luger pins Tatanka with a small package. Okay. Bundy immediately splashes him and pins him. And that's the finish. It's a crappy finish. Exactly. You have you know, King Kong Bundy, who hasn't been a star in 10 years, Penn Luger, who's supposed to be one of your top stars, and then do nothing from building from it. Yeah, that's a really bad storytelling right there. Yeah. And Bigelow is the other survivor. So. And Bigelow would have, at least Bigelow would have been better because he was more active. Like, like no, one, uh, no one cared about King Kong Bundy. Like, well, the smartest storytelling was to have Luger beat the two behemoths and then have the cowardly Tatanka run in and steal the pen from Luger. Right. And 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 just to be like, haha, I got you because Luger's his, because Tatanka is his real foe anyway. Or maybe even just like, even if he doesn't beat the behemoths, like maybe he only beats Bundy, but, uh, you know, between him fighting against Bam Bam and Tatanka being, you know, a heel, you know, doing heel tactics, you know, Bam Bam hits that big moonsault, and as he's getting up, Tatanka tacked himself in, you know, covers, you know, Luger, you know, scores a pinfall um, over him to right. continue the feud. Well, you can do that. That makes sense. Or you have Bundy and Bigelow double teaming him. Bundy and Bigelow collide into each other. Bundy falls out, gets counted out. Luger power slams Bundy, pins him, stands up to his feet. He's weary. Tatanka rolls him up, pins him. Mm -hmm. You know, out of nowhere, boom, and you're out. And Tatanka ghost out of the ring. Yeah. So, I mean, either one of those is a better story than the flat finish that they had here. Most definitely. Yeah. You, you also had uh, Mabel pinning someone with a flying body press off the second rope. A whole, whole lot of nope in that. I, I, I'd yeah. be like, no, I'm not taking that. I'm not taking that bump. No way. Yeah. So this was just uh, like this was like uh, this is one of those pay-per-views you watch and you start reevaluating your life choices. This is one of those don't don't share don't show anybody if you want them to be a wrestling fan, right? So going forward from this, if you can call anything from this going forward, uh, Luger's going to beat um, more jobbers. He's going to go to a double countout with IRS on Raw on December nineteenth, so he can't even get a win there. Uh, and then for the first time on January second. He's going to team up with British Bulldog. And they're going to beat uh, 
Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka. Now, uh, Luger would say in his book that when Bulldog came into WWF, that Bulldog would replace Bret Hart as his closest friend in WWF. Um, he now he says that should mention this early. He says that early in his WWF career, Bret Hart became his closest friend, and Bret Hart's the one who introduced him to coffee. And now he can't, you know, do without his Starbucks because of Bret Hart. But he says once Bulldog comes along, hey, here's a guy who likes to work out as much as he does. Right. And they, you know, have similar mindsets about things. And so uh, those guys get along. By the way, uh, we're talking about people like Slam Yoko. Bulldog's another person I think could Slam Yoko. Yeah. The way he used to toss around Vader, I'm pretty sure he could slam Yoko. So he, so they start uh, palling around in real life, and now they're starting to be put together on screen. Um, he's still working with Tatanka in house shows and dark matches. He has a dark match where he goes over to Tatanka on Raw, um, November 7th, working. Uh, keep in mind, this is still before the Monday Night War, so he's working jobbers on TV. Um, and then, uh, let's see. So he, he's going to enter the Royal Rumble again in January uh, 22nd of 1995. Now, this was the Royal Rumble that had the one-minute time limits or entry time period, whatever you want to call them. Right. And this was also the one where they said that the winner would ha be escorted to uh, WrestleMania by Pam Anderson. And they did the promo video with uh, WWF superstars leaving voice messages on Pam Anderson's answer machine. I remember machine. this. And Luger says, Pam, when I win, we'll go out and paint the town red, white, and blue. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so bad. Oh, my that's, that's uh, terrible. Bad pickup lines 101 right there. Yeah, I, I had blanked. I had totally blanked that from my mind, and now I know why. <laughs> patriotic. Uh, I'll take patriotic pickup lines for 100, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, that, well, which is worse, that or Diesel's Pam, when me and you go out, we'll paint the town black and chrome. He didn't say that, did he? Yeah, he oh, did. That's even worse. Black and chrome. You would have thought somebody would have said, let's change what we're saying here a little bit. Right. Yeah. Did 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 Kevin go after afterwards? <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to ask Pam about oh, that. Okay. Uh well this was pre Tommy though, so she may have been up for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Pam, who doesn't make an appearance in the new Motley Crue movie. Yeah. yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, so Luger uh, comes in uh, the Royal Rumble at 19, and he makes it to the final four. Uh, the final four is going to be uh, <clears throat> Luger, Shawn Michaels, British Bulldog, and Crush. And uh, Luger and Crush are going to be going out about the same time, um, and so who cares? They don't win. Uh, 
Luger is going to go over to Taka again in a dark match on Raw. Goes over more jobbers. Um, on February 6th on Raw, King Kong Bundy, IRS, and Tatanka are going to defeat Men on a Mission and Lex Luger. That's a pairing made in booking heaven. Yeah. Your view of heaven is a little bit skewed there, <laughs> Oh, come on. You, you can't see uh, this real American with two purple-clad mohawk-wearing very bad rappers? I mean, come on. That's just, that's just. I have I, I have I have zero wrestling love for men on a mission. Absolutely zero. And all I know is when I worked out at Steamboat's gym, I saw Mabel or Nelson Frazier or whatever you want to call him in person back in like '92, and he he was without a doubt the ugliest person I've ever seen in my life. Oh come on, you've seen pictures of Flavor Flav now. Come on. No, no, he makes Flavor Flav look like a handsome man. Nah, I have to disagree with you on that one. Flav Flav was an ugly dude. Well, maybe if I saw Flav in person, I'd feel different. But, you know, I I think the best quote I ever heard about Flav Flav was, you look like Magic Johnson should look. (laughs) That's bad. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Oh, that's bad. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, as a young black fan, you didn't see many black stars at the time, so I enjoyed seeing some. So, I Men on a Mission was just fun, but you know, you want you know, they they don't hold up watching them later on. You look at them and it's like, oh man, this is this is really bad. Um, so Luger is going to, let's see, after that, he's going to, ooh, on February 12th, on ni- 1995, he is on Wrestling Challenge. He's going to defeat the Brooklyn Brawler. That would have been 10 stars in the Tokyo Dome, just saying. Yeah. Well, of course. And on Raw, on on the, on February 27th, he's actually going to defeat Tatanka by countout. Uh and then he is going to uh, on the WrestleMania uh, pre-show, uh, whatever the WrestleMania special was called that year. He's actually going to defeat Tatanka by pinfall in a cage match to end their feud. And the Big Blue, I missed the Big Blue cage. I don't. I liked it. Hated it. Hated I, it. I hated it. I hated it because it it's it's it reminds me of the escape the cage to win a cage match stipulation, which is the dumbest thing to ever do for a cage match, which is supposed to be two guys wanting to kill each other. Yeah. Well, I do so, so I'm going to try to get out. You see, I, yeah. I like it just because it looked like a, a, a more punishing structure, like the. Well, it was more punishing. Ask anybody who's ever been in. Well, yeah, that's why. Like, like, yeah, I mean, the the, the the fence is like, you know, like because you touched the fence and realized. So the the believability that you throwing me into this is going to hurt. No one, I believe that I've been thrown into real ones. It just, it, you know, no big deal. But that big blue man, that was some. You threw somebody into that face first. That looked like it was going to hurt. Oh, they're Here's talking a, about the, the cool. Go ahead. 
here's the thing about those those big blue cage matches. They're not known for their brutality at all, really. I mean, I, the, the one that I can remember, WrestleMania two Hulk bleeds in that one. But those big blue cage matches, you always knew that the finish was going to be somebody escaping the cage and the other guy almost escaping the cage. And there was zero suspense to how it would end. It was just when would it end. Yeah. Um, to me, I prefer a pinball cage. And, and here's the thing, like, like I said, nobody ever bled. If you watched a Crockett cage match, a, a, an Atlanta cage match, a Florida cage match, a Texas cage match, a Tennessee cage match, you knew somebody was going to bleed. And you knew if if somebody rubbed your head against Big Blue, you knew it was probably going to be uncomfortable. But if somebody rubs your head against a Cyclone fence, you know that's going to be like a cheese grater. And, and today, they, today they've got those fences in WWE, and people still don't bleed. But right. that's neither here nor there. Yeah, but Matt, do you remember the coolest spot we ever saw in a cage match? Uh, I, I don't know what you're thinking about. Go ahead. It was at the November fifteenth, ninety-one house show. Oh, I remember. I mean, we we mentioned that house show of yeah. uh, on the last episode, and the Sting Cactus Jack Cage match yeah. from that night was very much was a lot of fun. Yeah, and when Sting pushed Cactus Jack over the top of the cage, and Cactus took a bump to the floor. Yes, just for everyone who appreciates Mick Foley now he was doing this crap on house shows and yeah. uh, and, and uh, yes yeah. that was yeah. crazy yeah. and um, he, he does a spot where like in, in WCW or NWA you'd always see people trying to climb out of the cage but you couldn't win a cage match by climbing out so it's always like what happens if the guy gets out well he's trying to climb out and he gets about out and Sting just shoves him by his butt and he goes takes a head first bump out to the floor and then Sting climbed out after him and they started fighting outside the cage and the referee's like what and the referee had to get the timekeeper to unlock the cage to let him back in it was the but but that that bump off the top of the cage was still the coolest cage spot i've ever the seen the fact that foley is still ambulatory <laughs> is a miracle yes it is yeah so then we're going to go to a whole new era for Lex, and it's going to be the last era for Lex in WWF, and that's the Allied Powers era. So they had already teased Luger and Bulldog, and now they're going to officially be a tag team debuting at WrestleMania 11, and they are going to uh, team up, and they are... Uh, they're even going to have their music blended together. Ooh. Um, and, yeah. And they're going to um, face Jacob and Eli, the Blue Brothers. And they uh, are going to win uh, at WrestleMania. And then they're going to go on uh, and quickly become the number one contenders for the tag team titles held by the new world tag team champions, Owen Hart and Yokozuna. And it, I don't know, to me at the time when you debut a new tag team of two top stars and you're like, hey, they're, they're a tag team now. They've got 
kind of matching outfits and they've got their blended music and they're doing tag team moves and stuff. And then you have their old arch rivals win the tag team titles. It made sense that there was going to be a feud there and there was a bit of a feud there. Uh, and it seemed like a, a logical sense that Luger and Bulldog would win the tag team titles. Um, well, which we'll start talking about more in a minute. So they're going to keep teaming up. Um, next, they're going to beat the well-established team of Well Done. Uh, guys, what's your favorite Well Done match? Yes. All, all of them. Okay. Um, Correct. They're gonna be, I agree. <laughs> Um, on the house show circuits, every night they're going to go over Kama and Tatanka. Kama, the supreme fighting machine. I'm sorry. My favorite gimmick for him. Uh, Matt, what's your favorite line from Kama? He's going to take that urn and he's going to go melt it down and make a chain out That's of it. That's my favorite line, <laughs> too. Wow. <laughs> you could not stop Matt from saying that line in 1995. Like, Yo, I said I don't know. I did too. Every time I saw somebody with something gold, I was like, "I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna melt it down and turn it into a gold chain." I don't know why I thought that was so funny, but to this day, I appreciate it. Yeah, that was less like that was like his go-to phrase, like randomly anywhere. <laughs> like just be driving in the car somewhere. See, see what needs to happen now is um. Next time, next time you're preaching, you need to get a gold <laughs> offering plate and be like, "I'm gonna take this offering plate. I'm gonna melt it down. <laughs> I'm gonna turn it into a gold chain." Here's what you do: you, if the church I'm preaching at this Sunday has a gold plate, uh, well, no, I won't do that. <laughs> no, no, when you're talking, when you talk about the golden calf, just switch up and see if anybody's paying attention. Be like, and Aaron said, "I'm gonna take the gold and I'm gonna make a gold chain." <laughs> The Lord said to them, "When you took, see if everybody, see, see if anybody's paying attention, be like, my translation doesn't that? say gold chains. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for Jeroboam and the two golden calves because that's a lesser known story. Or, or say, save yeah. that for Jericho. It's like, you know, God said you can't take anything from Jericho, but if you do, you got to melt it down and turn it into a gold chain." <laughs> <laughs> On a Lex Luger podcast. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're not talking about Nick Cage right now. Uh, yeah, we we yeah, we did that on the other episode. Yeah. No Nick Cage yeah. tonight. So, yeah. So anyway, so uh after that main event series, um, they're going to uh beat jobbers, beat jobbers, beat jobbers, beat jobbers, beat jobbers. And I could say their names, but who cares? Nah, who cares? So then um, they're going to uh, get into some matches involving their uh, opponents uh, for the uh, tag team titles. Uh, so on, uh, so start with uh, Owen and Bulldog are going to have a match on Raw, and that's going to end in a time limit draw and then Yoko and Luger are going to have a qualifying match for King of the Ring 95 and they're going to and Yoko is going to win that by count out 
So they're starting to build that up. Um, now they are working house shows with them at the time. Um, and so it's worth noting that uh, Owen, uh, if you've talked to anyone in the business or who knows anything about Owen, they'll say, and you say, what's Owen Hart known for? Pretty much anyone will say ribs. And Owen had a particular rib he liked playing on Lex when they were working in tag team matches. He'd say, you know, Lex, get me up for a press slam. And he would go dead weight on Lex. And make Lex really struggle to get him up. And make Lex really, go, you know, really struggle and have a hard time getting him up. And then when Lex would tag in Bulldog, he'd go up really easy. So Lex would think he was weaker than Bulldog. And that was what Owen liked doing whenever they tagged together. And uh, Bulldog would say, hey, I don't know why you're having such a hard time with Owen. Don't know why you're having a hard time with him. I get him up nice and easy. Look, he's up. He's up. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime it was a suplex, press slam, anything, Owen would just go dead weight. Uh, <clears throat> dead weight in Luger's hands. Dead weight in Luger's hands. Yeah, quite literally. Yeah. So... They're finally going to get their title shot at In Your House 2, which if you've never seen this pay-per-view, don't. Um, yeah, Michaels and Jared had a pretty yeah, good Yeah, I was to say. Yeah, just, get, just, just get the Michaels DVD, okay? Bar mine, okay? Um, but the this pay-per-view, but Owen and Yoko retain here. Um, there's a pretty cool spot where uh, Luger and Bulldog doubles belly-to-back Yoko. And have him pin, uh, then in the end, Lure gets pinned. But to me, I just never understood why they didn't put the belts on Lure and Bulldog because it was something they could do with them. I well, I remember being confused by it at the time. Now, I didn't know about Luger's contract situation at the time. I don't know if that had something to do with it. Maybe it was one of those famous last-minute changes that that Vince made. Um, of course, Bulldog is going to go and play a role in the disastrous SummerSlam 95 pay-per-view uh, coming up. But, uh, yeah, confused me at the time. Uh, but whatever <laughs> yeah it, I mean it, it, so they're not going to put the belts on on Luger and Bulldog and, and they're going to they, they, they literally squashed the smoking guns at Wrestlemania 11 I mean it wasn't even a close match it, it was just I mean a squash match uh, and then you have Luger and Bulldog, and it, and it seemed like they could have been that team fending off the the evil teams because uh, th they could have done, you know, uh, Yoko and Owen. They could have done um, Men on a Mission, who were heels at the time. There were, you know, there was a million dollar corporation. There were a lot of teams they could have feuded with at the time, but instead. In the end, they end up putting the belts back on the smoking guns. Yeah, I, now, now right. you have to. My, my memory is foggy from this time. Now, I thought 
that the first time they had Yoko and Owen tagging was um, WrestleMania. Was that WrestleMania? I, thought, I, could have I thought that was SummerSlam. It was WrestleMania 11. It's WrestleMania 11. Owen announced that he had a mystery partner. But was that was that against and, the guns? Yep. Okay, yeah. I remember. I think the guns still had Sonny, and they were like, they were like shocked, and they were like, "Well, we're walking out there, tag team champs, and we're we're going to come back out." No, they didn't have Sonny yet. They, they wouldn't Sonny. get yeah. Sonny. Oh, a, they were shocked. They did. They did cut a promo where they were like surprised. Yeah. Yeah. This was well, this was a year before Sonny okay. was involved yeah. with them. Because Sonny would win the belts for for the body Donna's the next year. Right. Well, Owen and Yoko went over huge on the guns to get Yoko over after he'd been gone for a while. But I think, you know, once you head through the summer, probably the shine's coming off of Yokozuna a little bit. I know that he was really up in weight at this point. And um, he'd kind of be in and out after that until you know he finally left in in 96 i guess it was but um yeah they they just i guess they they put the belts back on the guns the night after in your house three yeah it was which i I mean i I know individually they're they're great athletes and they and i i think you know Billy Gunn obviously had a, a career that some people respected, and I think Mark probably could have had a better career than he did, but I never got the smoking guns as a tag team. I never liked them individually or as a team. See, I didn't mind the smoking guns. I mean, they weren't, you know, I'm no cowboy fan, so, like, I just got hit. They're cowboys, and, you know, they, they're, you know, they're tough, good old boys. They throw hay, and that means they're super tough, and they're brother, you know, they're kayfabe brothers, so they work well together naturally because they're brothers. And I thought they were stupid cowboys. Most cowboys aren't exactly considered intellectuals. I mean, cowboys. no, I mean it was just stupid the way they had them as cowboys. Well, you got a bunch of people from New York and Connecticut, you know, doing cowboy angles. You know, they're not exactly the best at it either. You know. They they were just. I did like their finisher though. I thought their tag finisher was pretty dope. Yeah, but they were a testament to how bad the WWF tag team division had gotten. That they were considered the top team for two or three years. Yeah, I remember an Abner Mag writing an article about how, like, when they won their third tag team title, about how like there are three time tag team champions that puts them up there with like. Demolition and the Samoans, and you know, like how how can this team be up there with them? Like they're they should be mid carters at best. Well, Billy's had Billy's career has been as a great tag team partner, you know, between Guns, between the the Outlaws, Billy and Chuck. Like he's just been. He's just been a great tag team guy. He's probably got to hold the record for most reigns, doesn't he? I don't know how many he would have had by now. I mean, he's got Edge does. Him, Edge, Booker, um, 
got a lot of tag reigns. Um, Booker's got a lot. I mean, if you count WCW, it, it depends on what yeah, you're Yeah, if count. you're counting WCW, cause he's, but Booker has a lot because he had WWF tag reign with Test, and he had one with... And he's got all of his Harlem he Heat reigns. he got all the eight Harlem Heat reigns. Right. I mean, if you're counting most, period, it's the Dudley boys. Right. But it's... But if you're counting... So, but I mean, it, if you're saying just as far as WWF titles, it's, I think, Edge. Okay. And the Edge is up there. He's the ones with Christian, uh, Orton, Jericho. Jericho. And I want to say, and he, he, had, he had a bunch. Let's see. Edge is a. Billy Gunn's got 11 WWF. That's a lot. Because he had it three times with the guns. He had, what, five? Five or six times with Road Dog. And then the last ones with, uh, with Chuck. Yeah, I'm, I don't remember how many. Let's see. Edge, I'm looking here. Uh, Edge 14. 14. Edge Edge held him with Mysterio, Jericho. I forgot about Mysterio. Hogan, Hogan, Benoit, Orton, Jericho again, and then of course Christian. Fourteen days times. <laughs> I don't even I don't even yep. remember the the reign with Hogan. Yep. Yeah, he only held him for like a week. They won him on 4th of July from Chuck and Billy and then lost him to Christian and Lance Storm. Mm. Uh, four, that's a lot of times. 14. Yeah, he won 12 WWF slash World Tag Team titles and then two WWE championships. Well, so 12 tag titles and then, and then two title reigns. So, so 12 tag titles to Billy's 11 still. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. So Luger. <laughs> so wait. So I'm sorry. I, I got. I got us off on that. So, my, so, so let me. So, yeah, so, so when it so. comes to where we're headed here now, um, headed towards SummerSlam, uh, uh, '95. Y'all, I know y'all aren't great fans of it. I happen to have a, a fond memory because that was like the first um, pay per view VHS that my parents let me rent. So I have I have a fondness for for that pay per view, as well. Oh, I, I I do I do too. The main event aside, I always I always liked that pay per view a little more than most people too. Um, in part because of the Hakushi yes, I was match. just about to say the Hakushi one two three kid match I, so I, great. I was a, I was a Hakushi mark. Oh, I was a big Hakushi mark too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The single arm power bomb he pins kid with is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I was a big fan of Hakushi. I, w- I really wish they would have done more with him. Yeah, but um, I even enjoyed the Skip Horowitz uh, match. Yeah, I like pretty much everything on that card except for the main event, which was just well. So the main event happens, and um, you know, then and Lex comes out and does the most unimportant thing I'd ever seen him do, and just grab Mo and like drag him. Right, and gets kind of tossed by Diesel. Right. Because Diesel thinks because Bulldog had turned on him. Because the previous week, so basically, 
the previous week, the story was that um, the Allied powers were supposed to face men on a mission and Luger no-shows, but that's kayfabe. So Bulldog asked Diesel to be his partner, and then he Bulldog turns on him in the middle of the match and allows Diesel to get beaten up. So when Luger comes out at the pay-per-view, then he's going to uh, then then Diesel thinks, well, hey, this is Bulldog's tag team partner. He's going to jump me too. So he uh, attacks Luger. <coughs> Luger chases Mo to the back, and that's going to be the last we're going to see um, of Luger uh, on WWE WWF TV. We don't know that yet, but it yes. is. It was a yeah. quite well, quite an uneventful exit. So this is going to bring us to uh, a good point to wrap up for today to the end of Lex Luger's WWF career. Uh, and then when the next episode, we can talk about what brought him back to WCW, all the internal and behind the scenes and uh, kind of behind the curtain machinations that brought him back. Um, the kind of he said, she said of what happened, what Luger says happened, what Eric Bischoff says happened, what role did Sting play in that? Um, who wanted who back, um, what role Lure did, what he had to do, what took place between SummerSlam and the first Monday Nitro, um, and then uh, kind of wrap up uh, the rest of Luger's career uh, in WCW. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think this is a good place to start, uh, to stop. And, of course, um, ironically, what happens next may be what Luger is best known for in his whole career. So come back next time. And uh, if you don't already know what that is, you'll hear it then. I agree. Well, thank you both of you for continuing to expound your wisdom and knowledge on Lex Luger. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening to us on the breaking ring road, ring rust podcast by Jig Nation. You can follow us on Facebook at Jig Nation, on Twitter at Jig Nation. And as always, thank you for listening and get yourselves over, y'all. Peace. I don't want to tell his business, but he got a handwritten thank you card from the CEO of Blue Chew last year. <laughs> nice. <laughs>